<clears throat> so, uh, I have been this seven seventeen. I've been praying about this, uh, about the next thing to talk about, preach about, and and uh, I knew where the Lord was going, and uh, I've been kind of him hawing around on it, but. I think I've even mentioned, but a, a fellow pastor and I, the brother Joe Decker, who I'll have come and preach, um, Joe Decker Jr., I guess it would be his name, uh, I'll probably have him come and preach because we've been talking extensively uh, about the topic of music. Um, I mean, extensively. We both come from a, a music background. We both have um, a fairly broad interaction with Christian music nationwide. Uh, we both have ourselves preached on music and heard a lot of other people preach on music. We've read books on music. I can't even tell you how many I've read. Um, and I'm going to have to go back and reread some because at my age you start forgetting the things that you read and I've got to start writing it down again. And uh, <clears throat> I've been putting this off and putting this off and putting this off, but uh, I know the Lord, I, I believe, this is why I'm telling you what I think, and I'm... I can't even believe I'm saying this out loud because I'm going to regret this. I know I am. But I believe the purpose would be for me to, uh, to eventually write a book. And I'm, while well, I say that, I'm already well on the way <laughs> of writing a book on the topic of music uh, for believers. Um, and the reason being is because uh, music is one of those things that we all just love to talk about, Right? <clears throat> there's always the fear, and that, this is one of the things that Brother Decker and I have, have talked much about. The fear is, is that we've been doing all this talking and that we've been trying to work down biblical principles and things like that. The people begin to bring us, bring us a song, you know, or send us a song and say, is this a good song or a bad song? And that would be the wrong effort of what we're trying to do. Um, what the goal is, is that someone can maybe take what we've been studying and apply it to themselves and determine for themselves whether they should be listening to a particular song or not. I, I mean, this, it's such a hard thing to answer, too. And I mean, if uh, I, could, I could go on here, and I'm going to cover a lot of... This, tonight's just going to be purely intro, okay? Uh, so we're, there's going to be very few verses because I, I want to lay out the beginnings of some of the problems of when we talk about music. And uh, music, is a, music is not static. And you all know that, right? Static means that it never moves. Music is dynamic. As a matter of fact, our knowledge about music and its effects has been cumulative. I mean, since, since the days of, uh, I'd say around the Middle Ages. Now think about this. So, if we were to go back to, I think it's like the, in the eight or nine hundreds, is is when we started actually getting musical notation, and it doesn't look anything like. So when you open your hymn book and you see the nice, you see the nice pattern of the little dots going up and down on the staff. That's what we call that. Uh, that's very modern. Uh, I mean, very modern, uh, and I'm including up to a hundred and about hundred and fifty years ago. That's pretty modern in the realm of our history. Um, but it used to be that notation would be for the like Gregorian chants. So, <clears throat> and all it would be is a, a, little, a little accent above a word that would tell them that they want the note to go up or down, or they want to scoop it up, or they want it to gradually go up. And then the singers would have to determine how many notes up, <laughs> how many notes down, <coughs> and of course, they had kind of some standards there, and what, I'm not going to get into all that. But, and and even now, uh, I spent a lot of the day doing research uh, on neuroscience because uh, it used to be that science and art were not separate things. We we see scientists and artists, and Leonardo da Vinci would not have known the difference if you would have said, "Are you a scientist or an artist?" and he'd say, "What." I am both of those things, and that's the same thing to him. <coughs> and so uh, when we begin to look at music, people, people around the world know that 
Music is not just, it's not just an art form. It's an art form that has, uh, that constantly moves and shifts. So, you know, some of you have maybe seen the, Sistine Cha- the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, or maybe you've seen the, uh, the Mona Lisa, even if it's just on a picture, things like that. That art, that piece of art is always going to be the same. Now, art changes, but once it's on the paper, there is no changing. Um, but music is extremely affected by subcontext, how you grew up, uh, what you grew up listening to, what you grew up not listening to. Uh, I mean, literally, some people, like some believers, uh, people that were uh, unsafe for a long time and become believers will turn their back on every bit of music that they, that they used to listen to and they probably need to because it's directly connected to their lost fleshly life, okay? And it's funny that uh, Christian people are the ones who grow up maybe inside of a, a Christian context are the ones who often, uh, if they're following the world, are going to leave and turn their back on everything that was Christian. Like, a, for instance, I don't know if you know this, but a lot, a lot of pop stars started off in church, church music. Not just a few, a lot. I mean, it's like common. It's, it's a known thing even amongst, even amongst uh, the, the worldly crowd. They talk about all these people that used to, and themselves included, starting in church. So it's not just about how you grew up. It's what you don't like about how you grew up. I mean, there's so many subcontexts. Um, and, and believe it or not, what you listen to frequently is what you like. I don't know if you know that or not, but your body is determined, and we're going to need some of that. But if you listen to the same thing repetitively, that is going to become what you like. Uh, I don't know how to explain it, but, you know, it's like that movie that you hate, but your family wants to watch it every year, and then, you, you know, finally at some point you just, you're, you know, you just accept it, and then after a while you begin to miss it. <laughs> you know, yeah, we're going to have to watch that movie. You know what I'm talking about? Repetition uh, in music, if you want to learn to like a new style of music, listen to it and shut out everything else. Just listen to it repetitively, and you will begin to enjoy it. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Uh, it's, it's, it's just because of, there's so much. You know what I'm talking about? Like, for instance, I guarantee you that the culture of music that, that like Brother Andy or Miss Nadia might have grown up in is vastly different than the culture of music that everyone in this room grew up in. I can guarantee you that the culture of music that my wife grew up in is vastly different than the, than the music that uh, Brother Greg would have grown up in. Why? Because she's from Kentucky. And Kentucky has several subcultures of music. Uh, Brother Greg, where did you grow up? In Idaho. Did they have music in Idaho back then? <laughs> I'm just being, but you know what I'm saying. There, uh, there's, there's Western music, and I'm talking about in the States, Western music, okay? Um, as a matter of fact, I think the majority of what I hear predominantly here in Idaho is country and Western. Seems like that's a very dominant thing. But then there's also this like, pretty strong vein of like metalheads. I mean like death metal and it's kind of weird, the, the mix. Now, <clears throat> we spent a lot of time in Springfield, Missouri. Missouri, you'd think south, right? You'd think you know, all southern, bluegrass. Oh yeah, there's a bluegrass group called Big Piney that came out of there. They all, a bunch of great big guys with beards like this and they wear white t-shirts and overalls and they sing. But also Springfield is known for some very uh, high-end orchestral music. I mean, some great musicians have come out of Springfield for, in the Philharmonic level. Just, so there's so many different subcultures. If we, were to take, if we were to lift you up and take you and plant you with the Kex, there's going to be a complete different subculture of music. And while they're going to introduce you know, good godly hymns there, they also have to be able to take the music of the culture and adapt it and with that cultural music put in, help them to begin to form their own music that is godly and worships God that is built around their own culture. We don't have to Americanize everyone for them to become godly. You understand that? We don't have to force our cultural styles upon them uh, and they have to sing all our songs or they're not spiritual. No, that's not accurate. Now there's a lot of good songs that are worthwhile and many of those have been adjusted for other people and for other countries. Um, I grew up uh, listening to what some of you here might consider contemporary Christian. 
but we had our limits. I mean, but we're, we're listening to these, but we're not listening to those, you know. And then and I, our church would, would often have um, group, large, big quartets, the uh, same kind of quartets that are out today, the Kingsmen and the cathedrals, and the, some of you might remember the Rhythm Masters and the Masters Four and some of those, uh, some of those older groups. We, our church literally would rent out the local community center and bring these groups in uh, back when it was a different day theoretically a different day around that music we'd have those people in and listen to all those guys so i got to you know kind of rub shoulders with some of them um and it is very interesting uh, you, you, does anybody hear what i'm talking about the subculture of music and i'm talking about not just christian music but each one of us in how we grew up what what music we grew up with what instruments we heard if we heard any at all and when what that uh what the music that we snuck off and listened to and our parents weren't weren't listening when our parents weren't around and the music that we chose to listen to, the music that all of our, all of our friends listened to and, and how they interacted with us. Um, I, I pretty much did not listen to rock music at all, period, until I was about 15 and, uh, so, you know, some girl thing. I was interested in some girl and she wasn't interested in me and one of my best friends said, there's a song you've got to listen to. And just because of my connection with my own selfish emotions... The song hit me, and I was sucked into that particular group. So I began listening to this particular group. And then it branched out. Listen, you know what I'm saying? There's all these different subcultures. And, it's, and almost all of it, now I, just, I want you to think about it, almost all of our cultural music that is non-folk, okay? So not necessarily folk music, although that can be included. But the music that we choose to listen to, not church-related, okay? I want you to think about not church-related, but the music that we choose to listen to, why do we listen to that? Because it pleases our flesh. Okay, now I want you to pause a sec. That doesn't mean that all that music is bad, right? Is happy birthday wicked? Come on, is happy birthday wicked? Is it spiritual? No. We have, we have songs in our hymn book that are about the country that are not spiritual. They have a spiritual flair to them because the north of the south one wanted God on their side, so they wrote songs including God, how God... The Battle Hymn of the Republic was a very God is on our side and not yours song during the Civil War. We sing it and don't even think about it, but there was a day when that would have been highly offensive to the southern people, to the people in the south. Matter of fact, it still is to some of them, those that hang on to some of that. So, I mean, it's... If you think about the world, the world, uh, do they have any spiritual anything going on inside of them? No, it's dead. They're dead inside. So they are completely controlled by what? The flesh and the devil. So everything, now listen, we need to pause. Everything that the, that the world would love in music is purely driven by their flesh. There is no spiritual context whatsoever. Now, there might be feelings that they will apply to spirituality, but it's not spirituality. It's what the world loves to call spirituality, and basically it's just a higher form of emotion. That's all it is. We understand that Christ leads us to a selfless, an anti-flesh living. We understand that, right? So so that, that already presents... A problem where everything that the world produces must be examined. Everything. You understand that? Why? Because their natural response for all music is going to be self-oriented. Come on now. Are you all not acknowledging this? This is... The, okay. Let's take this out of, out of totally out of spiritual context. Who here watches the Olympics or has ever watched the Olympics? Okay, when, when somebody from the United States wins the gold, you know what happens, right? They get up on the podium, they put the gold medal on them, they're given flowers, and then what happens? Yeah, that flag raises and they play that national anthem. Does it ever stir your heart? That's not, that is not spiritual. That's your subculture. That's your emotions, and I'm not saying that's wrong. Again, what is wrong with enjoying, uh, for the same reason, you know, 
I mean, no offense to the, the Russians that might be present, but when a Russian wins and they play the Russian national anthem, it's a cool song, but I'm going to go get a bottle of water. It doesn't, it doesn't hit me like it would the Russian citizens who are there, and they get a tear going down their eye. Why? Because there is context around that piece of music. Is everybody following me? Okay. So you understand that when we talk about worldly music and we talk about, and we talk about spiritual music, there must be a difference. And just because someone says they're a Christian does not mean that we automatically believe them. We don't even do that for people that come here and want to join the church. We, we examine. When did you get saved? How did you get saved? Tell me about your salvation experience. Were you baptized? You know, what kind of baptism? Where were you baptized? Who baptized you? And we adjust all those things. Why? Because there's a set of doctrines that must be applied to. Now, is everybody following me? So I just kind of want to put this in context. And I know... I, I want you to listen carefully because what's going to happen by the time I'm done, some of you are going to all think I've turned into a flaming liberal, and some of you are going to think that I, have, uh, I am the most legalist person that you've ever heard. If I've done that, then I've probably done the right thing. If I've got people on both sides thinking, he's a wacko, okay, we're probably going down the right uh, pathway. I'm not going to say that my experience with music is uh, encyclopedic, okay, but my experience with music is quite a bit larger than the average person. Um, just from the interaction that I've had in music, being in music industry and rubbing shoulders with music people, meeting some of these people um, close enough to find out who they really are, uh, that kind of stuff. And with my travel in the U.S., so being in evangelism, uh, I have been in, I would say, most cultures and subcultures of music in the U.S., Okay, I've, I've experienced them, I've interacted with them, I, to the point where I can, I can go to each one and I can enjoy it. Uh, I have been in, in good, godly black churches that have a vastly different music culture and have enjoyed my time in their churches. I have been um, in very southern churches that, uh, that are, they're loud. I mean, the people sing at the top of their lungs the whole time and their hands are up in the air and they're crying while they're singing and I have enjoyed their expressiveness. I've been able to see that. I've been in churches where you had a piano and only a piano. No organ, no nothing else. It's all the rest of it's wicked. I've been in churches where, oh no, we've got strings and trumpets over here. And I mean a whole orchestra and a piano and organ over here. And others where it was pretty much organ only. The organ dominated it. I've been in churches where piano, we can't afford a piano. We're just happy to have a guitar. I've been in Latin cultures where you don't, there's no piano and there's no organ, but you got about six guitars across the stage and they're playing Latin. They'll take all the songs we do and start putting it to a Latin beat and sing it, you know, Amazing Grace while it's a whole Latin stuff going on. And, and you can see in their faces, you can see their, their love for the Lord and how that they're, they're, wanting, to, they're wanting to worship the Lord. I'm, you hear what I'm saying? It's a different subculture. I have also been in churches, surprise, surprise, where, yes, there were electric guitars and drums on the platform. I won't say that most of those churches I've been in that had drums did a very good job of it. Most of the time the drums were way too loud. They dominated the music. You, can't, you couldn't hear hardly any other instrument that was playing, much less yourself. I have been in one church, I think maybe two, where I, I'm not going to say whether I agree or disagree with it, but it was done tastefully and was not distracting. Um, so I'm saying, I'm, I'm just saying, I've been in a broad realm, and I'm not about to start that here, just FYI, uh, <clears throat> because of association. Okay, and we'll talk about that. That's all, that'll be down the road, why we talk about that. <clears throat> but at the same time, when I go down to the parade, I like hearing the marching band go by. And I like the big boom, boom of the, you know, and I like hearing the, I mean, I like all that in the marching band context. This is a different context. So if you, if you all can be patient, we're going to walk through all this, and I think it's going to take us some weeks to do because I'm still in the process myself of really trying to help nail down. Because, listen, I believe wholeheartedly this, this verse. And you've, you all have heard me uh, say it and say it and repeat it and repeat it and repeat it. First Peter. Nope. Second Peter. Yes, Second Peter 1.3. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life 
and godliness. How? Through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. I am tired of having music conversations where people say, well, I think, well, I feel, I really am, even as a preacher, I'm just tired of having those conversations. Uh, And I have heard people absolutely castigated for what the music they listen to. I mean, when I say castigated, I mean just rail, and often by preachers to another preacher. Just, I mean, completely railing on another preacher because they allow a certain style of music in their church. Okay? In a completely different culture, in a completely different subculture, a whole other state. And by the way, each church has its own subculture of music. I don't know if you know that or not. Each church has its own subculture of music. And I, I, some of you may, may think that I am trying to diminish music in our church. I, I would not say that at all. I'm trying to help. I, I am really trying to, I'm in the process of literally trying to build it back up. I want music to become a dominant part, not the dominant part, but a dominant part of our services. I want us to join it together. And we'll talk about that as we get along. But So I, I'm not saying I'm, you know, uh, I'm, again, I'm not encyclopedic. But I have been through many different styles of the bluegrass style, country style, churches with no musical talent whatsoever, and they still had music. Very interesting. But anyways, <clears throat> churches with a ton of music, musical talent. It always puzzles me why God does that. You know, uh, you go into some church that has like 30 people and there's five professional piano players, you know. And then I've been, to, I've been in churches where they've been well over 100 and they have to pay some lady up from the college to come down and play piano for them, you know. I mean, kind of interesting. So there's, there's, I've been in all these different realms. I've, I've been in churches, one of my favorites is to walk into church and see a whole bunch of instruments just standing up there. They're ready to go. They're already there. You just walk in and you know pretty soon somebody's going to walk up on the platform and pick up the mandolin. Somebody's going to pick up the guitar. And at some point, probably 10, 15 minutes before the church, the piano is going to start going and all those people are going to start playing. I love that. I would love to develop that, that culture here, even if it's a mix of piano and cello and, and the guitar and the banjo. I don't mind all that. That's great. So, can we just start right here? <clears throat> can we just admit that if we were to talk to each one of you, you would say, well, my music is right. What I listen to is right. Now, if you know what you're listening to is not right, that's a whole other message, and I think you already know what to do there. Okay? But most of us, when we start thinking, well, my music is right, and it's those other people's music that has problems. If we really get down to it, that's what we end up coming to. And we come up with an amazing array of arguments to defend ourselves. Very rarely does that come back to actual scripture that actually teaches about music. That actually teaches. Just because something includes music in it does not mean it's teaching anything about that music. Okay? Just because there was the word all kinds of music around the time that uh, Daniel and the three Hebrew boys were getting cast into the the burning furnace doesn't tell us anything about that style of music or, the, or whether the music was good or bad or indifferent. It just tells us that music was used in that form of worship. Do we use music in, that form of worship, in a form of worship? Okay. So we have to be careful when we assign meaning to Scripture that literally is just saying that they used music as an assistant to what they were already doing. Okay. Is everybody following that? Okay. So we have to, when we're going to look at music, we actually have to go to passages where it's teaching us specifically about music or there's some obvious context with which we can draw that the music being used was, uh, and how it was used, or how it was used, what it was used. Um, for, you know, that's what I'm saying. Because uh, how many of you here enjoy uh, <clears throat> some form of classical music or philharmonic music of some sort? Okay. Classical music and philharmonic music has a lot of instruments that we might get a little bit upset at if we thought it would be used at the church. I mean, I, and we have so we, again, we have to be careful. I, there's, uh, we I've heard people say, well, all percussion instruments, oh, that's wicked. Well, then almost all churches are in trouble because the piano is what we call a percussion instrument. It is struck strings. I like kettle drums. I don't have a bit of tr- trouble with kettle drums. That's those big ones that go, bum, 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 you know, bum, 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 bum. Big old kettle drums are, I, you know, I, I've, I don't think I've ever gone to a bar and seen, you know, a big set of kettle drums up there. No, usually that's when I go to the, 
the orchestra, the Philharmonic. Is everybody hear what I'm saying? So we have to be careful when we start talking about these things. We have to be very honest that, truthfully, there's a lot of arguments that should be considered that we probably aren't considering. And rarely, when we, when we get two Christians talking about music, <clears throat> does the love of Christ become the main topic in the conversation. Do you all know what ad hominem attacks are? The word ad hominem? Okay, you really should start. I would encourage you, if you can, um, pick up the book, The, Fall- the Fallacy Detective. Is that what it's called? I'll bring, I'll bring it and show it to you. But it talks about arguments. And, but ad hominem means I, I stop talking about the actual topic at hand and I start throwing darts at the person I'm talking to. I use their character as, as a means to destroy their argument. Okay, that's ad hominem. That's bad, that's bad logic. You don't do that. Okay, well, why not? Because there's something bad to say about everybody. That doesn't mean that their logic is bad. <clears throat> Darwin, I'll just ask you a question. Darwin, was he a good guy or a bad guy? Just answer off the top of your head. I mean, I'm, you know it's a trick question, but answer what, off the top of your head. Is Darwin a good guy or a bad guy? Bad guy. Did you know until Darwin, people thought earthworms were toxic to the ground? Darwin was the first one to teach us that earthworms were beneficial to the earth. Not interesting? And are earthworms beneficial to the earth? Yeah, they are. Just because he's Darwin and he came up with evolution or started the pathway of evolution does not mean that everything Darwin said was wicked. You hear what I'm saying? The truth can come from many different locations. We have to be careful. Now, if a person is a habitual liar and they've been caught over and over again, well, now we have a thing. That, it ceases to be ad hominem. And it becomes an honest thing. But when two Christians begin to talk about music and we start attacking each other in that musical conversation, that's not, that's not Christ-like at all. Do you all understand what I'm saying? Okay, so I'll just, I'm sure you all know this. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. Not tearing down, but building up. That it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So I'm going to encourage you. I, I think it's a good thing for us to talk about music. It is a good thing for us to debate and... and uh, and I don't mean argue, I'm talking about consider, have good solid discussions on, on music. Is this, is this a good song? Is this a wrong song? Why would I listen to this song? You know, is this a song that down the road we could listen to without having the context of who's singing it? I mean, there's so many things about this. So when we're having a conversation, let's be sure to be talking to each other and with the people that you might talk to on social media or some other church. And listen, you are supposed to be Christ-like in that conversation if they claim to be a believer. Okay? Whether you could care less about music or whether you're totally involved in music, all these things must be careful. Okay? Now, this probably won't stop your emotions from getting a little hot, but hopefully you can, you can work through this and try to continue a good conversation. Okay? So this is what my hope is, is that at least we can find some biblical principles that we can look at your personal music and church music and we can pass that, pass that music through, the fil- through a biblical filter. Does that make sense? And start, make, start saying, should I be listening to this? And, I'm, and I think, I'm just going to tell you, when we get to that point, if we, I don't think we're going to get there tonight, but there is not one piece of music that you should not pass through that filter. Of, first of all, of should I be listening to this? Okay? All, and we'll, we'll get to that point. All music uh, you should consider, you should gauge. Now, and again, if, you, if you're looking for me to, if, I don't want anybody to start bringing me up songs and saying, is this a good song or a bad song? D- don't do it. Don't, don't do that. That's not the purpose. The purpose is to give you principles to use that you can look at your own, your own music, okay? Uh, a, a, a biblical viewpoint, but we can try to filter through our music, okay? <clears throat> now, that doesn't mean just free to do whatever you want with music, okay? But it does mean that somewhere in here there's got to be biblical principles, that give us a, a clear understanding of when we look at music, 
maybe I should consider this principle when I look at the song. Maybe I should consider this principle. Instead of just feeling like I'm right because, why? It's amazing how often when we have discussions even with pastors about, well, I'm right, why? And they leave the Bible and they start using musical arguments. I have a problem with that. Because this is the basis of truth, not music. That's like we might as well be arguing about whether you like uh, Pollock or Picasso. You know, are you a Pollock fan or are you a Picasso fan? Well, I'm a Pollock fan because of this. Well, no, Picasso's better because of this. Well, then we're just talking, we're just talking personal, personal issues, personal preferences, personal things that we might feel convicted about, but we really can't stand on Scripture. We might take Scripture and misuse it, but that's what I'm trying to get to. So, Hopefully, again, we can get to, you know, here's what the interesting thing is. The Bible does not have a clear list. Now, think about that. How big would the Bible have to be to cover every subculture of music, every individual person's idea of music, every particular song when it was written, and then later after it was written, after the, the author had passed away and the way they used it was gone? I'm just telling you, there are some modern hymn writers today that have written one or two songs that I look at and say, not bad, but I will never use them here. Why? Because I don't want my young people going home and Googling the song and discovering, this, discovering the, the, the artist and thinking that I approve of that artist because most of their stuff is trash. Down the road, once the artist has been forgotten, once their music has been forgotten and people have the music and the song and it's disconnected from, well, who is P.P. Bliss? Never heard of him. He wrote a lot of songs in here. You know what I'm saying? Who is Fanny Crosby? Well, I know about her, yeah, but you never heard her. So maybe you get some disconnect. So I want you, if you will, if you will be patient with me as, we, as I walk through and we walk through kind of a process here where we, can, where we can begin to look at our own music and each of you can take principles that we're going to walk through. And I'm going to try to do them basically one at a time when we get there. Um, so we can start talking about this. But let's start with this. Let's just start with some extreme, very, very basics. Okay? What is music? (laughs) What is music? What is its purpose? And what does it do? What is music? What is its purpose? And what does it do? So what is music? I'm a big fan of the Webster's 1828 Dictionary. Okay? So, and, well... I'll just tell you. So what, Noah Webster's 1828 Dictionary. What is music? Number one, it's melody or harmony, any succession of sounds so modulated as to please the ear or any combination of simultaneous sounds in accordance or harmony. Music is vocal or instrumental or both. And it's also called, number, definition number four, that was definition number one, definition number four is the art Music is an art of combining sounds in a manner to please the ear. Okay? Does, everybody, does that make sense to everybody? Does that make sense? Um, was anybody here, uh, is anybody here willing to admit that you were a death metal fan at some point? Okay. Death metal. Does anybody here know what death, you know what death metal is? The screamers? You know, there's lots of bass and lots of drums, and every once in a while there's a guitar... And people go, wah, 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 wah. Okay, Miss Naomi, would that, would that be harmonious and melodious to your ears? Do you hear that? Do you hear, the, you hear just in this room, this definition got, became subjective. Well, it's pleasing to the ear. Whose ear? Who's listening? <laughs> So listen, music is a very subjective thing. But so, no Webster's Dictionary, it's melody or harmony. That, that sounds very basic, but we'll just get there. The ubiquitous Google, okay, brings back this response. The art or science of combining vocal or instrumental sounds, or both, to produce beauty of form, harmony, and expression of emotion. And that's kind of what I think is even a little bit more true. It's not just an art form. It's an art form that purposefully expresses emotion. It's an art form like no other 
that purposefully is used to express emotion. There are some other art forms that can give you emotion, but rarely do they express emotion like music does. Okay? Um, and that's not to negate that, but music is very different in how it affects every, the body and everything. Now, we'll talk about more about that. Amongst believers, we typically have used, in the last, say, 50, 60 years, this idea that music is divided into four parts. Oh, I'm sorry, I need to back up. Let me give you my, a working definition of music, okay? And I want you to acknowledge whether you agree with this or not. So this is a working, my working definition of music. Music is a, and I'm going to include this because we'll talk about it eventually, a powerful art form used to convey thoughts and or emotion. Okay? Music is a powerful art form used to convey thoughts and or emotion. Does that sound fair? Does that sound fair to everybody? Okay. So again, amongst believers, we have typically divided music into three or four parts. Typically we say four parts, but three are the primary usage. And that is uh, melody. Okay. Melody. I'm going to need some. Are you free to come up, Trenton? Or do you have an assistant? So I, I just need three people. I just, Brother Craig, can you come up? Maybe Brother Greg. Um, let's see. Caleb, can you come up? So I, I want you all to stand right here, and I want each one of you to face a different way like you're a triangle. Okay? So stand back to back. It's like Brother Craig face that way, Brother Greg face that way, and Brother Caleb face that way. Okay? So get, get right in tight here and touch shoulders. Okay? We typically think of music as a three-part thing. The fourth part is called vocal expression, okay? And vocal expression, I'm not going to include it because it can be, it's kind of a subtext on all three of these sides, okay? And this is how we have typically used it, okay? We've got melody. Sorry, it's not a girl's name. It's a science. We've got melody. What's the melody? That's twinkle, twinkle, little star. The melody. How I wonder what you are, okay? Then we've got this thing called... Um, Harmony, okay? It's the part that hears the, the melody and adds some other notes to fill the song and make it a little bit bigger, okay? So instead of just doink, 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 doink on the piano, it adds two or three more notes. And that, can, that fills a whole broad spectrum of ways to do that. There's different, different ways to do it, different sciences around it, but there's harmony. And then we've got rhythm, okay? And some people are going, rhythm? Oh, no, we're against rhythm. Oh, no, you're not. <laughs> every, every song leader functions according to the beat. Okay? Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what... That's this guy. One, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, one. And almost all music, even in other cultures, but mostly we're talking about Western music that would apply to us, Okay? Talking about Western music, not country and Western, Western hemisphere music. Okay, there's Western music and Eastern music, and then there's some interesting other stuff. Very interesting other stuff. Um, so what we, what we seek for, what we teach, what we have taught for the last 50, 60, 70 years amongst believers is there must be a balance of these three items. And if you're going to err, you want to err down the melody side because... Because the melody is the one that carries the message. And when we're talking about a church service, the, Paul is very clear that everything that's done in 1 Corinthians, everything that's done in a church service needs to be clear and decent and in order. The message must be very clear. That's why he didn't want them having these wild services where all stuff was going on all at the same time. And then, of course, the, the, the idea is, is that if you slip too far down the harmony side, you end up getting in, the harmony becomes dominant and the melody becomes lost. You know, this is kind of what jazz does. Jazz tends to run down, it, it, it extemporaneizes it, it finds that there's a key of C and there's any possible number of notes I can use in the key of C, the chord of C. I don't know if you know that, but each key, each key is built up a whole bunch of different notes. His note, the melody, is only one note. While harmony finds other notes that support the melody. But if you run down harmony, you kind of end up in a jazz feel where the melody gets lost and the, and the message can get muddled. You understand what I'm saying? The, the clarity of the message becomes more about the, uh, 
the performance of the artist and what he's capable of doing with their voice or with their instrument. Okay, is everybody here? Okay. And if we run too far down the rhythm side and all you got is the beat, we end up in what? Rock. Okay. Now, okay, so you end up, you know, whatever's heavy beat oriented. Okay. It's all beat oriented. And again, if you're all beat oriented, you don't end up with harmony and you don't end up with, with, um, with melody. The, the beat is extremely uh, flesh oriented. Your body your body, and this is just, I'm not saying flesh as wicked evil. I'm just saying your body will automatically adjust to a beat that it hears. Your heartbeat will adjust to the music that it hears. Okay? Your, even the, the rhythms in your brain will be affected by the beat. So if the beat becomes predominant, what happens is the pleasure of the flesh now becomes, becomes um, over top of, above, it supersedes the melody and what the message is. It's funny, I remember as a kid talking to, uh, lost, I had lost friends who listened to rock music, and I'd say, and they'd say, oh, you got to listen to this song, and they'd play some record, and I'm listening to it, and what is he saying? I don't know. How many times I heard that? I don't know. You haven't, read the, you haven't read the album cover? No, I just like the music. No clue what they're saying. I've heard that all the time? I don't know. You know, and that was a different day. Why? Because they just liked the way the music made them feel. So we always try to... That's what we've been saying all the time. Balance these three. And if you're going to err, err on the melody. Okay? So that we've got a good, strong message. Does everybody understand? You, you can never say, well, we should never have a beat. There is no music without beat. All music has beat. All music. Well, it makes you tap your toe, it's wrong. Well, you can tap your toe to all Western music. Whether it be... Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, you know, or whether it be to, you know, highway to Hotel California, or highway to, what is it, highway to hell or highway to heaven, I can't remember now. Okay, highway to hell. That, there's, there's always, you know what I'm saying? Is everybody following me? Don't get lost in all the fun stuff, but that's all right. All right, thank you guys, I appreciate it. Now, here's, here's, uh, this was a, this is a very simplistic and effective way I'm not simplistic. Well, it is simplistic, but it's, a, it's an effective way to talk about music and its influence, okay? It is an effective way to do it. Um, and, and I respect the men that, came, that brought this argument out, okay? So this argument started really appearing kind of in the, the early to mid-1900s, okay? And the reason being is you start getting the influx of the, the a, a huge, rapid influx of of rock and roll. I mean, in the 20s and 30s and 40s, even in the 20s, a lot of the music from the 20s that we would go back and listen to, even then, the worldly music was just kind of, it's kind of fun, happy music. But somewhere in that 1919-1950 realm, uh, music started changing vastly and very quickly in the Western, in Western world. So you've got the arrival of, I'm going to use people so you can connect dots, but you've got the arrival of the Beatles and Elvis and you've got R&B um, you know, the, what then would have been blues or soul music. I mean, um, and, and the rise of rock and roll. All those things became from 1900 to 1950. And the preachers of the day, knowing that there was a fleshly problem here, this was the argument they used, and it's a good argument, okay? It is a good argument. Um, and I, let me tell you, I just thank the Lord for preachers that stood up in their pulpit and said, no, we're stopping this, and this is why, and this is what we're going to hang around using the best that they had at the time, okay? Uh, and I believe it. They were doing a good thing. Uh, and I still to this day, I'm thankful for those men that's, that put their foot in the ground and said church music is going to be church music and we ain't letting that other stuff in or we have to be careful, okay? Now here's the, here's the problem with saying that music has four parts. It has way more than that. Music has, uh, at, at the very least, seven to eight parts that we can name specifically, and I'm not going to carry you into a whole big long music uh, theory class, but I'm, some of it you might need to hear. So um, for some of you older folks, uh, you know the music of Jaws. Dun, dun. For some of you younger folks, I would take you to the music of Up, the Pixar movie Up, the first 10 minutes of the movie Up, and the music. And Ellie's theme is constantly through that whole song, that whole movie, I challenge you, though, it'd be interesting because the moment Carl realizes 
that he no longer has to live with the dream of his wife, the music changes to something completely different and brand new. So listen to it sometime. Ellie's theme stops and it's not used again until the very end of the song, or the end of the thing where he comes to grips with it. But anyways, the psychology around that is just amazing. So I'm thankful for, for the men that stood up and started saying, hey, we need, this is, listen, these, this is an example, and it's still a good example. I'm not saying it's not. Okay, it's still a good example, and if that's what you have, use it. But when it gets right down to it, there's seven, eight different parts of it. And when you look at movies, and I'm going to get into this a little further down the road, but when, when someone scores a, 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 a movie or a documentary, someone who's composing the music for it, they watch a, they watch a scene, because the movie's divided into scenes, and they find the, the predominant emotion or the prominent thing being communicated, and they align all seven or eight of those things. They either do it scientifically, some of them do it naturally, they can feel it and see it, all eight of those parts of music on that one emotion or thing that's being communicated. Okay? So let me ask you guys a couple of questions. Does anybody here have a favorite movie music composer? Or, that you, or you could even name one or two. I guarantee you some of you do. You just don't know it yet. You just don't know they have a name. I've got a music family, so we started connecting the dots. So, you guys know the music of... Dun, 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 um, Or maybe, you know, bum, 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 okay. Um, Star, Star Wars, music Star Wars. Same composer. Do you ever notice that you automatically know the movie by the music. You also know the person that gave the music. Uh, oh man, I think Harry Potter, I think is also done by John Williams. His name is John Williams. He, he, John Williams is really the premier uh, movie composer, movie music composer of our day, across the world. Uh, Schindler's List. Does anybody, does anybody here ever watch Schindler's List? Okay, if you haven't watched Schindler's List, I'm telling you, that's, you need to watch that movie. That's an amazing movie. Uh, beware, it has some real stuff in it, real gritty stuff. But it's, it, that is, again, John Williams. And the music in that movie is extremely, I mean, grippingly powerful. Why? Because he saw the movie, he saw the commu- what was being communicated in the movie, and he didn't just choose the music, he even chose the, the artist that he wanted playing a particular instrument in the movie. So he picked Itzhak Perlman, a Jew, to play the violin, a very Jewish, Yiddish instrument, to play the music over Schindler's List. And the Jew, and I'm getting way ahead of myself, but the Jew being able to give the music. So you hear what I'm saying is that they align all these things. And there's a whole bunch of things like pitch. Well, we talked about pitch. Well, that covers two of these parts right here, melody and harmony. That means uh, what arrangements of notes am I going to use? Am I, this is the melody. Am I going to lay that out in a major key or a minor key? You know, you can play Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star in a minor key. You know, you, you, can, you can do that. You play the same tune and you play it in a minor key. So that's pitch, melody, or harmony. How am I going to lay this out? There's rhythm, the beat or the pulse. All that means is what's the timing going to be? Is it going to be one, two, one, two? Is it going to be one, two, three, four? Or is it going to be one, two? But the whole bunch of notes going... One, two, three, four, one, two. <laughs> so it's one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. There's going to be six, eight, all that kind of stuff. So what's the rhythm going to be? What's the texture going to be? This is going to blow your mind. Texture. We don't even think about texture. Well, I'm thinking texture. What you touch, you feel, this one messes me up. I've included five. There's at least eight. And I think the more music gets... Uh, builds, we, we invent more. I'm almost done for tonight, but I'm trying to build you around this, okay? So try to stick with me. I'm trying to, I've tried to, I know you may not be music nuts, but I'm trying to make this as simple as possible. So texture. There are five different major parts of what texture is, okay? The other three are really not even worth talking about. One is called monophony. Monophony or monophony, for those of you that might want to know how to say it grammatically. Monophony. You've heard it when... Uh, a performer sings the national anthem with no accompaniment. Okay? When a performer sings the national anthem at a sporting event and there's nobody, there's no accompaniment, that's monophony. It's just twinkle, twinkle, little star. I just did monophony. One voice, one set of notes, 
Nothing else, okay? That's monophony. Um, for some of you that enjoy, uh, anybody here know who Yo-Yo Ma is? Come on now, give me some hands. You don't know who Yo-Yo, one, two, okay, I'm going to say three, I know Dakota. Yo-Yo Ma is a cellist, um, and he plays some absolutely beautiful stuff just by himself, nothing else. It's monophony. The box cello suites, for those of you who that would enjoy that, okay? Then there's polyphony. That's polyphony, polyphony, okay? That is two separate melodies, two distinct melodies played at exactly the same time, but they weave together in a very beautiful fashion. Um, has, I had a friend who used to play the guitar, or he passed away, but he would play uh, Dixie and Yankee Doodle at exactly the same time. And it's, it's amazing how that it blended perfectly. Two distinct melodies played at exactly the same time, and it really was quite nice. Again, for those of you that might like some classical stuff, if you enjoy Vivaldi, uh, the four seasons, his summer and spring, are polyphony. Okay? And by the way, I mean, if you've not listened to Vivaldi's Four Seasons, you really should, no matter what kind of music you like, don't like or like. So it's, he uses polyphony, two melodies at the same time. Well, then it gets even worse. There's orchestral polyphony. Orchestral polyphony. And that's when somebody super smart, like Bach, can take the violin and they give, the, they give it a melody, and then they take the cello and they give it a melody, and then they take the flute and they give it a melody, and then they give the bassoon and they give it a melody, ad infinitum to every instrument possible, and then they all play at the same time, and it sounds gorgeous. And just, it's amazing. It's orchestral. All these instruments playing a completely separate melody, but it's all at the same time. So uh, for those of you, again, classical, uh, we wouldn't... Um, it does happen occasionally in a church service. So it does, if you've got multiple instruments playing uh, in a church service, it, it does occasionally happen that way. So we, we probably hear a little bit of it with those two. Uh, but Bach's Brandenburg Concerto Number 1 is an example of that. Bach's Brandenburg Concerto Number 1 is orchestral polyphony. Then there's one called uh, homophony, or again, if you're trying to spell it, homophony. <laughs> homophony. This is, what, this is what we understand as music. Homophony. This whole three and four parts of music, that's homophony. Now, I want you to think about that. I described that four parts of music. That's only one texture out of the possibilities of all music. And by the way, all of these other textures would be fine in church when played appropriately. And, and they have been played in church. Homophony. So it's, uh, it's the four parts of music. What is homophony? It's melody with supporting harmonies. So a hymn, um, Christmas carol, High church music, quartet music, a cappella groups, barbershop quartets, bluegrass music, country music, rock music, those are all homophony. Okay? They're all that one texture. Everybody keep following? Okay. There's <coughs> heterophony. 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 This one's really odd for us. We're not used to this one. Okay? This one's mostly Eastern, but we've started adopting pieces of it. It's when a whole bunch of instruments basically play the melody all at the same time. The same melody, maybe with a bit of variation here and there, uh, but it's the same melody all at the same time. Uh, it might be uh, someone playing the melody uh, on an octave on the piano. So playing C, C6, and C5 at the same time and go bum, 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 bum. Just, it's an octave, okay? But usually there's a little bit of a variation. So uh, mm, Dakota, Debussy plays, he does some homophony. Mozart in his piano concerto in C minor, uh, that's, that is heterophony. Uh, but mostly it's what's called a Javanese gamelan. <laughs> Not Japanese, but Javanese gamelan. If you go YouTube that sometime. Spell Japanese but with a V instead of a P. And Gamelan, G-A-M-E-L-A-N, just go listen to that. whole bunch of instruments all playing almost the same exact melody. Kind of weird. Okay, so that's just texture. All those things are just under texture. Okay, number four is the vocal. Everybody got that one? Gold stars for everybody. Okay. But, you know, basically, what style is the music? Does this need somebody who's going to sing, ah, or, ah, okay. <laughs> You know, it doesn't need a country style, doesn't need an opera style, doesn't need a soft voice, doesn't need a big voice, you know, I mean, this, so that kind of thing. That's, you have to think about that. Then there's timbre. It's spelled timber, but B-R-E. It's pronounced timbre. 
And that's basically, if I go over and play a note on the piano, bing, 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 but then I move over to the organ and play the same note, does it sound the same? No. If I get, the, get my guitar out and I play the same note, does it sound the same? So it has color to it. You know what I'm saying? If I get out a saxophone and play the same note, does it have, or rather a trumpet, you know what I'm saying? It's the same exact note, but it has a different timbre. Now you think that would be texture, wouldn't you? But that's not. It's not. This is called timbre. So each, what do I want this one to sound like? Does this need a piano on it? Or does this need a violin on it? Does this need a sad violin? Or does it need a, a rousing trombone? Okay, so timbre. And then there's expressiveness. Most of you know what this is. This is basically, are we going to be loud here or soft here? Does this need to be a military march or mama singing baby to sleep? Okay, so that's, that is expressiveness. That's dynamics and articulation. Okay, and then there's form. Form. What is form? Well, this really gets really interesting. So we have lots of different forms in hymns. I don't know if you know this, but we've got verse, chorus, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, like nothing but the blood. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. We sing the verse, and then we sing, Oh, precious is the flow. We sing the chorus. Verse, chorus, verse, chorus. Okay, everybody got? Everybody? That's called A, B, A, B, A, B. Or we can sing like Amazing Grace, which has no chorus. It's just three verses. That's A, B, C. Or four verses or five, whichever one you've listened to. It's completely different. The melody is the same, but the form is how am I going to present it? How, how is it... Um, like, oh, for instance, uh, and by the way, form is very important. Uh, form is what usually predicts most pop hits. And it's predictable. Like, you can, you can literally pick a, off the top 40 of the greatest hits in the world, um, and what you're going to find is the majority of them are using the exact same form, or some very close version of, I'm going to sing a verse, and then I'm going to sing another verse, and then I'm going to sing a chorus. And then I'm going to go back and sing a verse. And then I'm going to sing a chorus. And then we're going to do a little bit of a bridge. And then we're going to start this whole thing all over again. And that's, that's, that's called form. And I, I know it sounds crazy, but humans are so unthinking that music producers who need to make money off this, okay, they need to make money off Taylor Swift. They need to make money off of Kanye or whoever else. They know that there needs to, there's a certain form that produces more money. Does everybody follow me? Because people don't think about it, and we get caught up in the music. Now, it's interesting. This is very scientific. So stick with me a sec. They did a test on, on uh, I think it was a, a rat. And rats, because rats respond most often the way that we do. Isn't that interesting? We're just about done. Just about done. Follow me through. But they, did, they, did, they, they played a note. They played a B, you know, a note. Bam, and the, the, the rat would turn its head. You'd get distracted. But if they kept playing the B after a while... The rat would ignore it. So they tried to figure out how often and how much do they need to change to keep the rat's attention the whole time. And what they found was if they played B, B, C, B, C, D, and then back to B, the rat would, the rat would constantly have his mind reset and would be listening to the music and would stay in the music. That is the exact reason that pop songs follow a certain form because our flesh automatically likes the form being given to us. We adjust to it. We expect it. It tells us that there's going to be a pattern coming. We want a pattern. You hear what I'm saying? And it keeps us in the song by constantly saying, I'm giving you a little bit of this. And now that can be switched a hundred different ways. Okay? I'm just telling you, it can be switched and moved around a hundred different ways. And this isn't a solid rule, but there is a pretty good rule on form about how to make money. So you understand that that's involuntary? Like, come on now, I need you all to stay, stay with me a sec. That means people who put, put music out on, on the radio and on Spotify and on Pandora, they know what it takes to keep your attention and they pick songs that make them money because it keeps your attention. That has nothing to do with whether the song is good or not. You understand that? We, we autonomously respond to that. Is everybody following me? And that's how they make money. So they're making money. Well, I don't care if they make money. I enjoy it. Really? Are we really that shallow that we can't stop and think and adjust and pay attention? Now, I understand. If some songs are just good and they just are. But also, that's kind of how we're designed, isn't it? God designed us to be influenced that way. I want you to think about that. 
Are you hearing that? So if God designed us to be influenced that way, there is a purpose, isn't there? So we have to think, we just have to think this through about how does this end up. And the last one, structure, okay? It sounds a little bit like form, and it's, <coughs> excuse me, often used interchangeably. But essentially it's, it's adding the idea of timbre into the form. Like what instruments are going to be used here? Like is this going to be a guitar lead or do I want there to be a violin lead? And no, I want that to cut out and I want it to move in here. Um, and again, what role, is, what role is this instrument playing in this song? Um, for instance, like trombones are often, uh, remember the Darth Vader's, the, was it the Imperial Death March? Bomb, 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 bomb. Those are, those are trombones, okay? And we don't, we don't think about that, but typically that's the leading instrument in that part of the music. Why? Because it communicates a particular piece in that structure of the song. Just really interesting. Um, it's also the ideas, are there repeated sections? And is this a song I want people to actually be able to sing? Like, so structure would be like, is it going to be for the normal of us to sing? Or can only, you know, Miss Super Soprano that can sing 14 octaves above the piano can she sing it? You know, I'm just teasing. There is no such thing as 14 octaves above. Well, there is, but not people can sing it. So that's it. So believe it or not, uh, think about it. Movie music geniuses. So you go back and think about some of your favorite movies, and I want you to go back and start paying attention to those favorite movies. Who's the music? Who does the music for it? Who is the music director? Director of music is. I almost guarantee you for most of us in here, it's only going to be one of like three primary music directors. Maybe four, max. But pretty much just three. Out of all the music, all the, all the movies that you would enjoy. It's amazing how it is. We are, those eight parts of music are lined up on every subsection of a movie so that we feel the emotions that the director wants us to feel when looking at this scene. Okay? If Jaws... When they, when they showed the, the shark up on there, they started playing, you know, would that be scary? No, they chose what's called an ostinato. The dun, 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 dun. Why did they pick that? Because it is innately tied to our, literally, the instincts built into us to respond to that, that ostinato, that two-note ostinato, with fear and caution. Isn't that interesting? And that's, that's, that's form. So when we start talking about music, you listen, and I, I didn't say all that because I'm going to talk about all this stuff down the road. I want you to understand that the world knows that music is powerful, and they know it to such an extent that they know which instrument which should be played for which emotion that they want you to experience. Do, do you understand that? I, I'm, I know for a fact that with my guitar that I can... I can bring out of the majority of the people in the room a particular emotion and I know the chords to play and what, you're going, what emotion you're going to tell me you feel. I know how to do that. And most musicians that are, that are of not even pro level have that understanding that they can, they can draw you to an emotion by just using literally no voice, just the guitar. And you can tell me what emotion I'm trying to convey. The world takes this. The, world are not, the world's not idiots when it comes to this. The world is, has multiple doctorate level degrees on just the topic of power of music, how it affects the mind, the, the structure of music, what it does to a person, how, how it affects you. If you don't think that the devil is using that to his advantage, you're blind as a bat. Uh, do you understand what I'm saying? And we're, I'm not even going to get into... Uh, we don't have time to get any further than that. But listen, we need to pay attention. The world knows this stuff. The world understands this. What should this make us do? It ought to make us maybe just take a step back and with prayer look at our music and make sure that we aren't just responding to a sales pitch delivered in a musical style. Do you hear what I'm saying? And instead we are looking at the music and making sure, it does, is, is this, how is this music affecting me emotionally? I almost t- one of the standard things I'll do if anybody is actually 
telling me that they're fe- having feelings of depression, the first thing I'm going to ask them about, one of the first things I ask them about is their music after asking them about their Bible reading and prayer and church attendance. I'm going to say, what music are you listening to? Kill that and listen to something completely different, something very cheerful. Why? Because it's amazing how depressed music, depressed people choose depressive music to continue listening to. It's a really, it's how, how that works. Music is, music, the world is very knowledgeable. The devil is knowledgeable. And this knowledge is being used uh, for the world's benefit, for fleshly benefit. And that's not saying all of this stuff is wicked. These eight parts of music aren't bad. There's some good things to them. Um, and so we're, what we're going to do is as we, as we move along, and we're going to start getting, next week we'll get into a little bit more of uh, the subjectiveness of music. I've talked a little bit about that already. I might not spend too much time there. And then we're going to get into that music's purpose, that idea there, a lot of the questions that we ask. So what is music? Well, it's definitely an art form. It's a powerful art form that expresses and can convey, meaning transfer from one person to another, emotion. So watch your emotion, watch music, and that's just kind of an intro, and we'll get, there, we'll get down there a little bit further eventually. So next week we'll get into what is music's purpose, a little bit more maybe of the, the subjectiveness of music, and uh, maybe get into, maybe if we're lucky, we'll get into the, the power of music, which I have not even touched yet. So, amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the day.